Screen West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. Welcome back to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. It is Saturday, November 19th, 2011, and this is episode 89. As usual, I'm your host, Paul Fox, and joining me from some secret place here in the Fragrant Harbor at long last is Mr. Kevin Ma. Hi, everybody. I'm back. How are you doing, Paul? Doing good. How you been? Um, all right. You know, I had a couple of um, family members uh, visit me. Here in in the state uh, in Hong Kong, so been kind of busy. But now yeah. the film festival is over, and my parents are back in the states. Uh, I'm ready to be myself again. Yes. Yeah. So, do you feel a sense of I don't know how to put this fatigue from the festival? Do you have festival fatigue from so many films? Oh, I totally skipped the last couple of films, and I had to skip a film or two once in a while. And and thankfully, a few films were also canceled or rescheduled, so I couldn't catch as many films as I wanted to but actually more tiring was writing the daily blog entries mm-hmm. reviewing the film but you know that that keeps me up on schedule it's nice to have a daily schedule like that even though you know you, you get tiring yeah yeah so what, what was your um what was your thoughts on the festival any any big highlights big things for people to be on the lookout for um I would say that this year uh the films all on a whole were better than last year's but I think last year you had you had much better films uh, you know as i think koza always uses the term higher highs and lower lows um this year is more consistent i can't say i watched anything that i totally hated but i didn't watch i don't remember watching like a film or two that i really like went over the moon about mm. um there are a couple of good films uh the korean animation called green days uh was quite good uh kind of like a ghibli animation for teens uh called whisper of the heart um there was also the scenic body Movies, uh, not great, but worth watching uh, if you can find a copy of English subs. And you saw uh, both parts, one and two. Yes, I saw both parts, but two weeks, two weeks apart in the middle. Uh, I'm gonna finish. I'm gonna write write about that on the blog. Uh, I didn't watch as much as uh, the Nikatsu films as I wanted to because of some scheduling issues. So I only watched Lovers Are Wet and Brand to Kill, um, and they're special. In their own way, so to speak. Uh, I saw a Starry Starry Night, which we'll talk about later. was good. Um, the Raid, uh, it's, you know, it's fine for genre. Um, I guess if you like violent action films, that's your thing. Actually, this year's films, lots of violence. Lots of really brutal stuff. You know, like the Yellow Sea had a lot of stabbings. Yeah, that have, seems to be a trend, and I think that's something we're going to probably talk about a little bit today, too. Yeah, and uh, there's this new trend, I guess, where apparently, you know, a movie being violent is automatically good, and I can't really are we so desensitized to this kind of stuff that we just like oh that movie was violent it was great it's kind of a disturbing trend for me um himizu uh film by shion sono the director of uh, love exposure uh very not a not a, not an easy sit but actually uh quite a powerful film and we can sit through it um but yeah those are you know a couple of good stuff mm. uh, of course you're the apple my eye played the, at the festival so that counts also life of our principal those are both you know good films to watch yeah 
any dogs or dregs of the festival that people should avoid? Um, there is a Korean indie film called Bloody Fight in Iron Rock Valley. Um, I, you know, I, I got what it was doing. It was trying to do um, spaghetti western in an in a indie, Korean indie style. But it totally didn't work for me. It was too too amateur for its own good. Um, also, Killer Never Kills is a Taiwanese film. Um, you know, it's it's amusing. Uh, partially funded by the Hong Kong Film Fund, by the way, so it's technically it technically counts as a Hong Kong film. Um, okay, and that's but, also uh, done by uh, the guy who did uh, "You're the Apple of My Eye," right? Uh, the original novel, apparently, his his uh, Sir Giddens, his series of uh, assassin novels, was what how he made his fame. So this is this part of that series, uh, but he he's not involved with the film. Um, actually, it was produced by Eric Zhang and, and his daughter, uh, I guess, which is why it was qualified for the Hong Kong Film Fund, but. It's, you know, I can say it's bad, but, you know, it's not that great, mm. I suppose. Uh, but otherwise, I mean, it's a, it was a fairly um, okay festival. Uh, not bad. I can say, like I said, there's not any film that, you know, totally sh worth missing to avoid. But, yeah, there's just nothing that is so great that everyone has to run out and watch it. Except, mm. I guess, for Starry Starry Night. Yeah. Yeah, and we're going to talk about that today. Yes. Uh, what other films are we going to be talking about today? We will also be talking about about if i put up my notes here uh the hong kong asian film festival closing film uh let's go starring uh, Juno mac and for west screen we'll be talking about uh the financial drama thriller margin call all right all of that and more coming up right after a little bit of news all right um again we're a little bit light on news this week we're still not back to our regular schedule um, as we've mentioned before we are in a period of turmoil between film festivals family visits holidays um, holiday films coming out and uh, work school all other kinds of stuff and of course in the midst of all of this um, totally unrelated to films but this little company called bethesda had the nerve to release this game called skyrim which has basically <gasps> consumed my soul in, in, in any notion of a free minute or free time that I have uh, is, is being eaten up by that game. Uh, and this is on the heels of Batman Arkham City, which I was able to finish and was an amazing game, but I didn't get around to doing the, all of the side missions, and I had intended to go back and do the side missions, and then this game came out, and my, my life is over as I know it. Just I was telling a friend, I was like, you know, just Tron me you know, Flynn style from the movie Tron, just just port me right into the game already. Uh, I, you know, I don't want to be in reality anymore. Just put me into that world and I'll be happy. Um, but that's neither here nor there. That's my own little bit of personal addiction that I'm working through. Um, but we do have a lot of stuff going on. We've got holiday films getting ready to, op to open. I, I think you mentioned you were going to try and see Tintin. That's already opened in China, right? Yes, it opened a couple of days ago in China. I'm going to try and catch it tomorrow morning on the IMAX 3D mm. in Shenzhen. Uh, there is also going to be IMAX 3D in Hong Kong, but actually my, my, main, my main intention was to catch the surprise uh, romantic comedy hit, and I figured, I uh, love is not blind, that's the movie name. Yeah. Uh, but might as well, you know, I saw, oh, a couple of days early for Tintin, might as well. So. Yeah, you're going to be there. Um, yep. And that's just weird. Why are, why are they getting that early? And why are we so, uh, being overlooked I again? I think it's a scheduling issue because this week there was eight movies or nine movies coming out. Mm. And um, I'm guessing, you know, Hong Kong, they 
the distributor decide to schedule it that day because to get out of the way to own that weekend. Mm. Uh, China is the same same situation because this is the week before the um, the year end rush starts, I guess. So uh, the fifteenth must have been you know a good yeah. time to 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 yeah cash Has the market. It, it's opened in the U.S. already. No, it doesn't open in the U.S. until December, actually mid-December. Wow, that is just yeah, weird. Yeah, it's already open in Europe because I guess Tintin is more of a European. Yeah, well, it's pop a, I think culture. it's a French cartoon. Right. So it's yeah. yeah. So it's a lot more popular in um, a lot more popular in Europe and and I guess again there's one of those um, uh, scheduling issues. I guess they they know that they will get the maximum box office during the holiday season hmm. because of family film. Really? So, so they're not opening. To, I I thought for sure it was a Thanksgiving film. I thought it would have been. This week, if it was, if it had no, no, apparently, apparently, the the people have spoken and made Twilight their Thanksgiving film. Oh. <laughs> yes, so yeah, actually, well, that's appropriate. It's Turkey States. Day, right? <laughs> yeah, it's just weird. It's, it's opening in Japan before it opens in the states. I've never heard of this happen. Yeah, <laughs> yes. I guess they're really just hoping for a Christmas rush, and I, I guess it makes sense. You don't really want to compete against Twilight. You know, um, love the love the series or hate the series. It is a little bit of a money maker, right? It is much is monstrosity. I was it's, it's going to make a hundred mil. I mean, this is like on the same level as as like Michael Bay, like Transformers. I don't, you know, I'll never understand it. But you know, I I don't understand the hearts of teenage girls apparently, or even you know females of my age. So well, there has been there has been a lot of um of you know, ranting against the the acting chops of Kristen Stewart in the past by people that I know. But I saw this trailer for, I think it's called Snow White and the Huntsman. Have you seen that? Yes, yes. The, I'm actually, that looks really good. <laughs> as much as I'm kind of, you know, amiss to say it, I'm I'm really kind of excited for that film. I don't know. Last time I did this kind of thing to a fairy tale or like a classic tale was, uh, what, Little Red, the Red Riding Hood movie? I didn't see I that one. Sure. Uh, yeah. That, that yeah, it, I don't know. Do you think they're doing that? Because that was definitely a twilightization uh, of that story. Do you think they're doing that here? I imagine they would. This is this is studio mandated hmm. thing. I'm almost sure. Yes. I'm I'm because it reminded me of the um, what was the Drew Barrymore film? Do you remember Ever After? Ever After, which was a great film. You know, it was sort of this great reimagining of uh, of the fairy tale. Right. Um, and uh, and when I was watching this, I was thinking, oh, this looks like, looks like they're taking that that kind of same approach. But then, yeah, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, oh, they're gonna put a sparkly dwarf in it. Or, or <laughs> <laughs> well, there is a is a hot, uh, hot whatever thing guy yeah. man who I'm sure has a six a, six, a six pack abs in yeah. it. So and he glistens. Yes, I hope I'm sure he's gonna yeah. glisten and and take off his shirt once in a while. Well, that's yeah. other stuff to look forward to. Uh, throughout the holiday season, and we hope to be covering as much of that as humanly possible. Uh, but we do have a little bit of news to cover this week, uh, Hong Kong-related news, some sad news, and that is uh, former actor, performer, comedian, producer, I don't know, did he ever direct? Um, basically no, all-around entertainer, Ricky right. Hoy of the Hoy Brothers, the famous trio, um, passed away on November 8th of a heart attack. Um He'd not been very active in recent years. You know, he'd kind of retired. You know, all three of the brothers have kind of retired. They they made little emergences. I think Sam Hoy, who was no, notably known for the Aces Go Places sort of uh, spy action series in, in the 80s, um, he came out and did a concert a few years ago, I think, um, but then he kind of went back into retirement. 
Michael Hoy pops up now and then. He's done done a couple movies. He's done a couple cameos. I see him on commercials occasionally. Um, the last time I saw Ricky Hoy was in the movie Supermodel um, in 2004. And, and I posed this question out on Twitter. Was that his last film? Uh, one of our friends mentioned he said uh, he thought it was in Divergence, which was a year later. That's not true. And it's listed on, um, on Wikipedia, though. Because I don't remember him being in Divergence. He's definitely not in Divergence. Um, yeah. So last, I don't know. Yeah. yeah, I don't know if that's um, my memory lapse or the, that's an information lapse somewhere in the chain. But um, the yeah, last, he's definitely not in yeah, Divergence. The, the, uh, his last film is actually Supermodel, even though a film was released after that. I think it was called. It's like, it like a low budget comedy. Forever before. Yours, right? That that was actually made several years before that. Yeah. And that came but it was out. released in two thousand and four. Yeah. So Supermodel was actually his last film. Yes. Mm. All right. Well, you know, he's he's got just a long list of films when you look through his filmography starting back in 1972. Of course, I think the brothers got their start on TV, right? Doing um sort of like Saturday night, Saturday night night live style um comedy shows and and you know, they weren't they weren't it wasn't really a sitcom. It was just shows that were skits basically with the featuring the three brothers. Um and did you ever get a chance to see any of those? No, I think they were before before when I was uh, born. Which yeah, I guess I've got I've got a set of it on uh, VCD. Um, of course, it's difficult for me to follow because it's it's humor and and you know drama in in language is kind of easy to understand. It's kind of universal, but humor requires a much deeper understanding of the language and and a lot of it's beyond me. And of course, a lot of it's in that period of things that were going on politically and socially too. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, 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 some of the skits are funny. It's some of it's based on physical humor, but a lot of it's wordplay and a lot of it's, you know, just based on popular culture of the time too, which is kind of hard to me, hard for me to relate to, but the, the guys were really, really talented. They all moved into cinema, um, in the seventies and he, Michael Hoy himself, the, uh, I, is Ricky the oldest brother or? Uh, no, Michael is the oldest, uh, Ricky's in the middle, and yeah. Sam is the youngest. Sam's the youngest, I knew Sam was the youngest, um, but Michael is, is kind of credited with reinvigorating, um, Cantonese as a, you know, primary form of Hong Kong cinema with some of the films that he did and, and some of the ways they were using language at the time and getting Hong, getting Cantonese cinema back into color, um, because in the 60s, Cantonese cinema was black and white and it was all the all the Mandarin stuff that was coming out of Shaw stuff, like the musicals and, and, and things like Hong Kong Nocturne, um, those all had the really big budgets because the language was, for a while, considered uh, better uh, than Cantonese. So Cantonese had, had Cantonese films had much lower budgets um, until the 70s, until that sort of identity shift. And so it's interesting when we see a shift back towards Mandarin now and sort of the post-handover period and the way that local Cantonese films are kind of going back to being lower and lower budget and um, to some extent less and less quality. Um, and that's something I think we'll probably be able to talk more about um, with future films, especially things like Wong Jing films <laughs> or maybe Patrick Kong films. Um, but as I look over his filmography, I mean, there's just so many great films that I have in my library and, and things that I've seen and things that I've watched multiple times Things that have been riffed on since then from other films. I mean, um, the the basic, what was the one they did a couple of years ago? Fantasia, right? Mm-hmm. Which was basically just 
this encapsulation of a lot of the different films that the brothers had worked on. Um, but I think for me, probably the one that sticks out in my mind most is Mr. Vampire. And I think that probably a lot of people in the States might remember him from uh, the Mr. Vampire film, uh, among others. I mean, it, it's perhaps not his best film, but one that's probably more traveled internationally. Um, do you have a favorite? Um, actually, I saw Mr. Vampire for the first time a couple of months ago. Mm. And yeah, um, Ricky was definitely, you know, that was, that was an infamous story there. Actually, Ricky he was the first person to turn down a Hong Kong Film Award because he, he had won uh, Best Supporting Actor for Mr. Vampire. But he insisted that he should have been uh, Best Actor. So he actually <laughs> turned down. He's the first person in Hong Kong Film Award history to turn down an award. It was for that film. Mm. And, it is, and, and that, you know, I haven't seen much of his films, but I'm, you know, as a Hong Konger, I'm very familiar with his, with his screen persona. Even if you don't watch many of his films, you kind of know about which persona which uh, the brothers have. And it very much is a personification of his persona mm. that, in that film. So, yeah, that, I think, Mr. Vampire, like you said, it's, it will be probably one of his more signature performances uh, from his career. Yeah. And, of course, you know, there's, uh, some people are, are more have would say that the ones that the three brothers did together, um, you know, like, uh, as I look through the list here, uh, the Private Eyes, um, Security Unlimited, where, you know, it was the three of them together, but typically playing the same kinds of characterizations where um, Michael was sort of the bully, Sam was the young, cocky, good-looking guy, and Ricky was kind of, you know, in the middle, the guy who would get picked on and the guy who wasn't good enough to, you know, have love interests necessarily. He was sort of the comic relief uh, more often than not. So... You know, I I was hoping that uh, after Supermodel, we'd start to see more of him. But, uh, you know, he went back into retirement and, um, you know, unfortunately he's now passed away. So his body of work, I think, stands as a testament to his comedy and, and the things that he's done. And I'm very interested to kind of go back and revisit uh, some of these older things now. Um, I've got quite a few, as I said, in my library, but there are quite a few here that I've never seen that are kind of hard to find too um as well um and i'm wondering if now that um you know he's he's passed on if there'll be a an impetus to kind of push some stuff out uh, i re i remember this happened when leslie passed away um there was you know suddenly a, a lot of leslie films that had gone out of print or been unavailable were suddenly back on the shelves and reprints um do you think that anything like that will happen or do you think that the the DVD market's just too dried up right now. There's already a, a compilation of his music, actually, uh, because he is a songwriter and singer, and he does... Um, actually, Sam Hui still performs concerts in the mainland, and uh, and he and Ricky always always um, shows up as a guest guest performer, sings a couple of songs, and that was his last public appearance, I think, uh, in uh, one of Sam's concerts in mm. August. Uh, so, so there's already a compilation album out um, of his music, I'm not sure how they managed to find two CDs of Ricky Hoy's music because I don't remember him having that many songs. Um, but yeah, I, I think certainly uh, more well-known films. There's already a Taiwanese DVD box set as well uh, for like you know films like Mr. Vampire or uh, his his stuff of the, the his other two brothers. I think they'll see see the light of day in remastered DVDs, uh, new reprinted DVDs, even if it's twenty dollars ones and. It depends on who hosts the rights. I think Fortune Star hosts the rights to a lot of those films. Maybe even a Blu-ray, no matter 
how much effort they put on it, maybe there'll be Blu-rays coming out soon. Mm. But actually, you know, Ricky's not that old. He's only 65. Ricky's 65, but he always he, he's, he's, uh, he's had a lot older. <laughs> yes, but he's actually had actually part of the reason he's not in movies as much is because he he has uh, heart problems and yeah. he's had heart problems for for a while. And in fact, uh, he was ordered to go to emergency room actually the day before he passed away. Mm. So he's um, but he, uh, his brothers take care of him, and he's very much actually apparently the relationship between the three brothers is very much like the screen persona. In a way, he is always he's the middle one that's always getting taken care of. Sam and Michael they take care of him a lot in a way that he doesn't really have to work much. Um, so, you know, it's sad that he's gone, um, but in a way, it's also you know kind of a release from I guess all his health problems. And I hope uh, he's in a better place. Yeah. <laughs> 我去街他沒有意外玩到三更半夜他會等我我已經過老婆生仔最多年年實是一座拖夜叻過隻駱駝他說話口水沒多So, uh, up first, the latest film from uh, Wang Qingpo, and that is Let's Go. Um, so, basically, this tells what? I mean, what is the story here, Kevin? Because uh, I went into this with a completely different expectation than what really? I was giving. Yes. Well, what, actually, the, the simplest way to put it, it's, it's like a superhero, it's an origin film. It's what you, what, which is not really what, you're, or what you like. When you watch superhero movies, right? Well, Paul? Yeah, yes, yes, and no. I mean, it, um, all right. So basically, this is the story of uh, of uh, a character named his name is Shang, right? Mm-hmm. And Juno, played by Juno Mack, um, who's you know a, a, a young guy living in an estate village or not a state village, uh, sort of an estate complex, a housing estate complex in Hong Kong, and uh, he's a good fighter. Um, he's 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 good at you know, basically using his fists. Um, he, he's got some skills. And he also has a sense of justice about him. You know, he, he protects people who get picked on, um, protects his friend who seems to have a little bit of a mental thing going. Um, <laughs> but we can, we can get into that a little bit more later. Um, but he basically works as a, at, at, a, at a cafe, uh, what we would call a cha cha tang in Hong Kong, um, where, you know, just get coffee and, and, and food and whatnot, a little restaurant. And he does deliveries and, and you know, just a, a typical lower class kind of individual, but somebody with a good heart. 
Um, he gets hired, though, for his fighting skills. Uh, and he gets recognized. He gets hired by a security group. And so uh, this the, it's called the Matsumoto Group. <laughs> and uh, as he's, you know, working for the security group, he, you know, getting more money. So he's kind of happy. Um, and he gets kind of put in charge of doing security for the head of the group's uh, daughter, who's played by Steffi. And and so it starts to take on a little bit of a of a, the bo- the bodyguard kind of plot line um, for for a little while, and I, I, I was thinking, oh, they're not really going to go in this direction, are they? But then um, uh, this coup happens within between the security force and between the, the head of the group, and it, it's it's like watching Election Two all of a sudden. Uh, it totally shifts gears in the second act, and and um, by the third act, it basically boils down to um, the 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 bad guy, the villain who's been established after this coup, um, needs to be taken down, and how they go about doing it. It's very reflective of ideas that are often put forth in things like cartoons. One of the thing in Japanese cartoons in particular, one of the things that this film uses as sort of the driving the plot device is something that happened in. Um, the main character's past when he was a young boy and seeing seeing his father basically get gunned down in the street and coming to terms with ideas about involvement and and righteousness and and justice and some of the things that are conveyed you know in these cartoons and in these programs the the so-called morals of the story if you will that part i thought was really interesting but like i said act one starts great suddenly you're in act two and it's all election two and dogs and (laughs) knives and and getting shot in the face and bullets coming out the cheek and i was i was like what am i watching i mean it was just such a dramatic jump We, we talked earlier about you know this year being a year of violence being recognized in films i was totally unprepared for that i mean if you look at the trailer what the trailer seems like it's going to show you is not what you're seeing here in Act Two. Mm-hmm. It's actually the end of the film. Yeah, yeah I mean, the, the what what you see in the trailer is basically yeah, just you know, right at the end. Um, and so I, I didn't think the film really seemed to find its footing in in terms of the tone that it sets up, and then the shift from you know real to to real violence. But then you go back to Act Three. And it shifts back to sort of cartoony super superheroism, in a sense. And so, you know, at first I thought, oh, this is going to be like, um, you know, Defender or, or something, where it's 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 riffing on comic books, but it's also trying to show that you know, the reality is is that bad things would happen. But then no, it kind of goes back into the the the, the fantasy aspect and. And I like some of the imagery, and I, and, I, and I like some of the ideas behind it. I just think it was really kind of imbalanced, um, particularly because of the maybe the gore and, and some of the violence that's up there. I mean, it's not... I wouldn't say it's up there with the same... In, in terms of the same level as Dream Home, for example, but it's still way more outside of the, the realm of expectations than what I had going in. Um I don't know, maybe they could have done a different trailer and better prepared me for what I was about to see. Uh, But, you know, other than that, you get into the performances. Juno, I think, actually was really good here. 
Um, I think he came across well as this young guy who was a good fighter. Um, he the actions that sequences that he were doing was doing I thought worked well. Um, it's kind of surprising given given the some of the controversy that went on with his sort of establishment as a star or as an idol. Um, but that's probably something you can discuss more in depth, Kevin. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, and also there's this tie to the, the TV series um, from Japan, Space Emperor God Sigma, which I think are in- interesting. And, you know, that's kind of what they're alluding to in the trailer. And my inner geek was kind of saying, you know, just go for sort of a Mike style live action. You know, like a Yatterman or something. Uh, I, I would have much preferred that than the sort of gritty realism uh, and violence of, of the second act. Um, and for those who don't know, um, Space Emperor God Sigma was a 1980s uh, Japanese cartoon. And it's the predecessor to shows like Voltron and later the Power Rangers, where, you know, it was a cartoon, whereas Power Rangers is live action. But it's the same concept where you've got a team and the teams the team has vehicles or ships of some kind that can um, form together and make giant robots to protect the world and the universe kind of an idea um, and so that that particular show is used as as kind of the driver for the morality of what's going on between these characters because that's the show that the son and the father watch together and and you know, they, they talked a little bit about how the theme song for the Hong Kong version was sung by Leslie Chung, and so there's some cultural in, references and influences, too. Um, other parts of the film, you know, Steffi and a thong. Uh, <laughs> you know, I got a... Okay. Yeah. I, 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 but I don't know, because they did a cutaway, so I was wondering, was that really her, or was it a body, body double? You know? Um, made me question it for a moment. Um, and then later... And, and it's not a real thong, it's just, like, the the rapper kind of thong where the pants are pulled down a little bit too low. Mm. Um, but then Steffi has also got an interesting role here because she's the, sort of the rich daughter. Um, but by the end, she becomes sort of this deuce, deus ex machina um, that, I, you know, I don't know. I just, it, it gets back into to that cartoony aspect of, you know, the way they end up saving the day. Um, so, yeah, it's really a mixed bag. I'd say don't be fooled. By the trailer or the poster, this is not for kids in any way, shape, or form. Um, you know, it's not a bad film. It's just not what I was expecting. So I'd say definitely TV it. Kevin? Okay. Uh, I guess I should say that I only saw a rough final cut of this film because I wrote the description for the Hong Kong Asian Film Festival. And the only re- the only way I could know what I was writing is to watch the film. So I saw like a rough cut of a temp score. In fact... There's one particular scene uh, involving a gangster that used the Godfather theme. You know, I figure I don't think that's gonna be in the in the final cut. But anyway, um, it, it this is very much a, a more mainstream film for Hong Kong audiences than anywhere else because um, we did we did grow up on in the afternoons after school we watch you know these superhero shows you know like Power Rangers, Power Rangers or. Uh, I guess back in the 80s, Emperor Got Sigma and things like that. So it is, it's very much, it's something easy to understand if you watch it in that 
frame of mind, you know, knowing that, okay, this guy's going to become a superhero uh, with costume, and the hero is going to be, they follow all the rules. The hero with the scar, I was wondering when, when the hero, was, the bad guy was going to get a scar. Um, so that's all there, and it's kind of fun. And it, in the it's in the style of Hong Kong action films, you know, the tonal shifts, uh, this, the the sudden violence, and this is some really brutal stuff. Even the Hong Kong style comedy, I think Act One starts really great. Um, I really like the comedy in it because you know director Wan Cheng Po is more known for really pretentious um, violent stuff, you know, like Jiang Hu or Aso or uh, his last film with uh, was with Juno Aso. Uh, that was a Revenge of Love Story. Um, then, so that's where Act Two went wrong because they're too much into the darkness of the movie. They they're too dark. They they got all obsessed about their bad guy and they just kept going and going and going with the violence. Um, it, it's really kind of terrible the the, the direction they went. Um, there was a point. It's okay to go to get to a point of that, but then it kind of went too far. Uh, that, le- but then it does lead up to the Storm Riders Deus Ex Machina. Your, your de- for you the Deus Ex Machina was 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 uh, Steffi, but for me, there was that twist near the end. <laughs> yeah, it's like straight from the Storm Riders. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I was like, he's gonna become Aaron Kwok. Um, I thought that was pretty cool. Um, sadly, I, like you said, I I wish they they went with the Yadder Man style. Um, actually, I saw another film at the festival called uh, Karate Robo Zabargar, which is also based on a 70s um, superhero show, except they, they copied the style almost directly to show how silly it all is. Yeah. So, and well, they literally I mean, that's, that's, copied, what, that's yeah. what Yadder Man does, right? I mean... Right, right. The, 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 the one great scene from Yadder Man that I love is um, where the two human characters... Um, I can't remember their, their their Japanese names, but they're um, you know the, when they travel around to fight evil, they Gunner both robot, yeah the they dog. both hang off the side of the robot dog, right? And so there's one scene where like tra- they're traveling over the ocean and they're just still hanging there after after hours and they're just like exhausted, you know, because that's the kind of thing that the cartoon doesn't convey. Um, so I I like stuff like that and 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 they kind of had a, a few inklings of that here too. I like the, the spray paint on the wall thing. There's that thing where yeah. they're trying to leave their, their mark on the on the wall of the building, and they, they did it by spray painting their entire body yeah. <laughs> on the wall. That, that I, really, I thought that was, you know, these bits of comedy was good, but I think what they did, and I can't say they're wrong in doing it, is they're trying to update the genre for 21st century. But also the same, the, the problem that arise from, arises from that is that it's all done, it's, they try too hard to look cool. If you know what I mean, yeah. Um, tries too hard to look cool. It's just not ends up being too serious for its own good. Um, but still, I can understand why they couldn't do the Yatter Man thing because it requires a lot of special effects, and they were obviously strapped for cash. They couldn't even leave the woods. I mean, literally, the entire ending takes place in an underground parking lot and the woods. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like they just went to Psycho and closed down road and shot the action ending there. Um, but still, it's more fun than I expected from watching both film. Uh, Wen Chao, uh, who is the comic relief, he's he's actually more famous for having um, a voice that resembles Stephen Chow. Um, I thought he was really good here as a comic relief, especially in the first act. I really enjoyed it. Um, he, I know is, you were... Is he the voice from Invader, 33D Invader? Yes, he's the voice yeah. from 33D Invader as a Stephen Chow guy. Uh, and he's also done a couple of, a lot of radio promos. Um, and yeah, he's from Guangzhou and he's also a very well-known figure there as well because of his voice. Um, I, you were, you were going to say that he's, he, he might be 
um, mentally mentally handicapped a little bit. Actually, I think I think his character is just kind of like the you know, the little kid in in, in those superhero yeah. shows that's always really yeah. enthusiastic. I think he's just channeling that. Um, but he's an adult. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> he's, an, he's kind of an adult. He's like the the admirer. You know, yeah. it's uh, he's sometimes annoying, but I thought he was really fun in retrospect. Uh, in hindsight, he's really fun. I thought he was quite fun. He he lends a lot of fun to the film, and I think he is the kind of character that you know this kind of show needs, especially. Uh, when the filmmakers are too serious about what they're doing, um, sadly, it, it was totally mismarketed. Um, only the trailer of the ending, mostly, mostly comprised of the ending of the film, is has been released. There's been very, very little, um, very little uh, advertising. The, the the people who manage it. This is the first film from the Juno Mac uh, Willie Chan production company. Kudos, and they totally mishandled the advertising campaign. Mm. There's al- almost nothing out there about the film. They threw up a couple of trailers. It's almost like they expected it to do nothing. It's almost like they they're just doing it for overseas market, and it's a waste of everyone's efforts because the film deserves better than that. It's not a film you want to bury. I think you could have done at least with the right advertising, with the right angle, you angle it at the, you know, anime crowd. You could have gotten a good couple million dollars out of it, even though it's not big success. I think it, it, it should have done a lot better than, than how it did. I think it deserves better. Um, so I would say see it, but the thing is you can't catch it in theaters anymore. It's, oh no, it's, already it's gone. still playing at golden harvest. Yeah, but like it one didn't. Show it day. didn't get. It didn't get any release. I mean, it wasn't. Uh, I had to see it at Golden Harvest because it wasn't on any of the other circuits. It had a twenty-six screen release in the first week yeah. last week, and then and then it did about nothing. It did like twenty k on the first day. It, it did even worse than Legendary Amazons, and that one has box office poison. Which, which makes me wonder if they're just trying to get it into festivals. You know, yes, I think that could it, be the it because again, you mentioned earlier. You were talking about, you know, the nature of violence and, and that sort of being the, the, the hip new thing for festivals this year. And that kind of made me think maybe that's why they're not really pushing this film through heavily in general release is because they want it to do some more international festivals. They think it'll work well there. And I think that's kind of sad because I think it deserves uh, better, even though it's not a great film. It is certainly is a better film than it's, than it's you know, marketing people let on. Yeah. It is. Um, so I would say see it if you have a chance. Definitely catch it if you have a chance. I still haven't watched the final cut yet, so I maybe maybe my, my rating isn't isn't so um, reliable. Yeah. But you know, know, it, it, it yeah. reminds me of um a little bit of Andy Lau's film Running on Karma in the way that that shifted to different tones throughout. And I remember watching that that in the theater and not really liking it and since then, on on video, having watched it multiple times, that movie's really grown to become one of my favorite films because of the way that it it really challenges the notion of of genre and bends genre. And mm-hmm. I'm 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 thinking that this film, you know, might have that same effect on me over time, that it might grow on me and I might grow to appreciate it more, get, having gotten over sort of the extreme violence in that second act. Hmm. Um. I think it's it's all about what knowing what the director have done i think watching poe doesn't know when he's going too far in a mm. way that he he's very serious and he's too stylish and he's 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 that's why he was such a weird choice when i heard about this film oh he's gonna make a superhero film you know like a, that's a, that's supposed to be a tribute to the japanese superhero genre i'm just and i just kind of got caught off because he doesn't make kids movies mm. and he doesn't make this kind of um 
family friendly stuff and yeah. it ends up again like I guess in a way it's kind of reminiscent of two of um Kick-Ass mm-hmm. you know in, in some ways because Kick-Ass kind of started out in that in, 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 a, in, a, in a more of a serious tone but got cartoony by the end yeah, but I would say it's not as sadistic as Kick-Ass. Yeah. Kick-Ass is kind of, it just kind of went too far with the kids, you know, swearing. and It was a little too much, Yeah, too much, you know. I mean, and too, and, and yeah. again, that might have been the reason why they didn't have a kid in, um, in, in um, uh, one child's role, right? Right. Because Perhaps you couldn't, so. you couldn't do those things. Well, you could, but, you know, you'd get. All It'll be kinds too much. Of, it, you get all kinds of protests if you did those things to a kid. Yeah. And, of course, then putting a, the arm would be different. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, it wouldn't fit. It's, yeah. Can, yeah, it, you can't have Storm Riders. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Starry, okay. Starry Night, Kevin. Uh, haven't seen this film. I was hoping to get out and see it actually this morning, and uh, schedule said no. So uh, it's all you. Uh, that's too bad, actually. Uh, Starry, Starry Night is a... F- fine film it's the latest film it's a taiwanese uh chinese production in that it's uh made with chinese money with uh hawaii brothers and a taiwanese uh crew almost entirely taiwanese crew um, it is the latest film from director tom lin who made last made uh winds of september the taiwanese chapter of winds of september which is an excellent film and it's always the film that i would say is better than you're the apple of my eye uh it's like you're the apple of my eye but more mature uh, i really like that film so i was really looking forward to this film uh, it's based on the illustration book by Jimmy Lau, who also did the original books for uh, Sound of Colors. That's the Joe Ma, Tony, uh, Joe Ma film starring Tony Learn, and also uh, Turn Left, Turn Right, which was uh, completely ruined by Johnny Toe and Wyckoff Fight. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, I think, I think Turn Left, Turn Right was great. And like this, what Tomlin also said at Q&A, Turn Left, Turn Right was great, and it totally you know, reflected what the book was until he had supporting characters. Mm-hmm. And then that was like half the movie, and that was a really problem. That's what ruined it. But anyway, this is finally um, this is actually a very faithful adaptation because Jimmy Lau actually asked Tom Lin to direct this film, and he also very much approved of his, the adaptation of of his book. Um, so this is kind of the true, I guess, Jimmy Lau adaptation. Um, this is a story about the end of adolescence. It's about two 13-year-olds and a journey. Um, well, there's like a figurative journey and also a literal journey. Um, the little journey is that they go on. They they um, they go to the woods. Uh, I'll explain a little more later when I go to the plot description. But the figurative journey is about the end of adolescence, the, the journey to the end of adolescence. Um, the film stars Xu Jiao, uh, who I still can't get over as a little boy. In CJ7, uh, she's finally playing uh, a 13 year old girl for once. Uh, she plays uh, a little girl named uh, May, uh, a middle school student uh, whose parents are uh, kind of on the verge of divorce. Uh, the parents are played by Renee Lil and Harlem Yu. Uh, no, Harlem Yu is actually undergoing his real divorce while he's making the film. Um, I guess knowing that kind of adds that extra layer when you watch the film. Um, she she May's um grandfather, Kenneth Jung, um, is kinda like her 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 anchor in the world. Um, a very caring grandfather who lives in the woods and makes her little wooden figures. But um soon he soon dies and then she and then the parents finally decide to divorce and she feels um really lost in life. At school she meets um a newcomer, a transfer student named Jay. 
uh, Jay Chow, actually, uh, played by newcomer Eric Lin. Um, he's from a, a single parent family. Uh, his mother is is was actually um, abused by by her husband, so they they're always on the run, and he is uh, so so he is the, this is new school, and they kind of have this burgeoning love story. Um, so when when May's parents finally decide to to get a divorce, May decides to run away and ask Jay to 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 join her on a trip up to uh, her grandfather's her late grandfather's cabin in the woods, um, and that journey kind of brings them to the end of the their adolescence their their childhood so to speak. Um, it's I would call it uh, it's like Amelie for emo thirteen year olds. Because uh, May is very much like Amelie, kind of like a character that that lives in her imagination. There are some scenes where you have special effects um, conveying her thoughts. Like um, Jay and May, they 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 <clears throat> they participate in this contest for their class notice board, and they make little um, folded folded animals, and the paper animals come alive, and they walk and they start to walk along with them in in her imagination. So you have little bits, little scenes like that. Um, and what I like is that the special effects, not only are they done well, but they're only there to really enhance the story rather than make it. You know, you, you know what I mean? You know, Transformers, without the robots, what is Transformers? It's really, you know, people running and screaming amidst explosions. No, it's, nothing. it's all Sheila LaBeouf. Okay, Sheila LaBeouf. <laughs> well, I, I, I will also argue the woman in, in Michael Bay's movies are special effects, but um, I'm not sure how that's going to go with some people. I don't want to ruin some people's <laughs> fantasies. But yeah, um, here, the special effects really enhance what you see on screen. They don't, they're still what they are, you know, even without the good special effects, but they really enhance the film. And they're really actually quite well done for a film that only cost um, 20 million RMB. Um, this is Xu Jiao's best performance yet, I would say. Um, she, she has, she's very strong as a lead. She pretty much is the lead of the story. And I am hoping that after, you know, strings of, a string of movies like Mulan. Or like uh, even the little cameo in in uh, just another Pandora's box. I hope that this film will lead to Xu Jiao getting better roles. Um, she is still under management with uh, Stephen Chow's company, so I look forward to the day that she sues Stephen Chow as well uh, <laughs> and try to get out of that contract. And maybe it will bring her better roles. Who knows? Um, this is a very great performance. Renee Liu and Harlem Yu, they're good as a parents. They don't have as much screen time as I expected. Renee Liu has a has a, a war bait moment. That's kind of that kind of struck struck a force a, a false note with me, but Harlem U, I, I thought Harlem U was more more sympathetic as the dad. Um, there's a lot of teenage monologuing, if you know what I mean. Uh, at the end, there's a very important line at the end, saying the girl saying, um, "Is in reference to her classmates, their summer has just begun, but my summer has just ended." You know things like that, or you know we're you know. Um, something about growing up and things like that. I don't really care about uh, much for the message at the end, but um, I mainly really love the film for the style, the the little bits of directorial flair. Uh, Tomlin is actually a lot more visually striking director here than he was in Winds of September. There's some really interesting set designs, like, um, and this might be influenced from the illustration book. I'm not sure because I haven't read the book, but um, well, first of all, Story Story Night is based on, it's named, the name is from the Van Gogh painting. So, and that tells you how influenced it is by art. There's a lot of patterns on walls, especially indoors. Um, even the, there's a store, there's a scene, a stationary store where the pens, the colors of the pens are arranged just so, they're natural, but you can tell there's some kind of pattern. It's, it's all really 
beautifully put together. Um, at the end credits, you, you see actually original illustrations from Jimmy Lau. I was told some of them are not in the book. Some of them are. And it has a theme song from the band Mayday. And they both and they come together. And when I watched it the second time at a regular cinema screening, actually people stayed, almost everyone stayed for that end credit. So that tells you how good that is because Hong Kong people never stay for the end credits. Um, so for me, even though I don't care for the message, I still really, really like this film. I think it's one of the best Chinese language films of the year. Um, even though it is a little, it might be a little light for those who don't, who are not looking for the message, who, who don't accept the message, or who don't want to listen to the message, or who are too old for the message, whatever. Um, so I would say see it and see it on a big screen. It's a beautiful film. Uh, and that's Starry Starry Night. All right. It, uh, now, is uh, Kwai Lun Mei in it? Koyla May is in the film for the last five minutes. Hmm. She only has a very brief cameo. Sorry about that. She has a very brief cameo as the adult version of May. Hmm. Um, what happens, it's not really an important part. Actually, there's a joke because um, that last, Koyla May's cameo was entirely shot, was entirely shot in Paris. And they, when, when, when Tomlin turned in the script and he has that page and a half in Paris, the production company said, you know, you, know, you, you sure you don't want to add a couple more pages you know it costs the same amount of money to go to paris and shoot the film so we might as well spend a little more money you know i mean or or or, or shoot a little more and he's like no just the last two minutes is fine so he you can tell kind of how tomlin is very much tomlin's film it's very much how 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 this is not a producer influence film at the most it's influenced by by the author, original author but this is very much a director's film. So, you know, congratulations to Tomlin for sticking to the man, for holding his ground. <laughs> and, you know, and the result is, it's not really anything you, you've you seen in a commercial Chinese film. It was very much an experiment, Huayi Brothers. And if we talk about, you know, it didn't do well at the box office, but you want to talk about quality, I would say it's a success. So, I mean, in terms of the, the genre of, like, coming-of-age films, the end-of-adolescence films, how does this compare with... Uh... You are the apple of my eye. Better, worse, same. Very different. I wouldn't. I wouldn't compare in the same sense because you're the apple of my eye is a lot more commercial. Mm. It's a lot more. The word I would say the word immature is a lot more silly, um, and it's also a lot less um, subtle. This film, um, it's very much like an art film, a coming of age art film, um, but not in a way that bores you, but in a way that you know many things you have to kind of dig out your on your own. Mm. Uh, and a lot of things you pick up on your own, uh, even though it has that monologue in the end. Um, if 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 um, you're the apple of my eyes for the cool kids, then then you know, Starry Starry Night is for the kid that spends their their after school hours in the photography room or you know by themselves drawing. And they would like you know, it's emo art kids mm. uh, coming coming of age room. All right, looking forward to seeing it. If I ever get some free time. East Green West Green. So for West Screen this week, we are talking about the film Margin Call. Um, now, this is a, an American independent drama film uh, written and directed by J.C. Chandor, if I'm saying that correctly, I hope I am. Um, and this is pretty much his first film. Uh, he doesn't have other stuff listed of note. Um, so it's kind of interesting to see a new director taking on uh, a cast of note of this size with a subject uh, of this size um, and combining it all together in, in a somewhat successful manner. Um, 
the story basically follows the employees at a fictional trading firm, but again, it's not really, you don't really come to know the name of the firm per se, it's not trying to, um, trying to point out anybody specifically, but it, it's very obvious that it is based on uh, firms like Lehman Brothers and, uh, you know, similar, similar firms that have problems, AIG and others uh, internationally with the uh, investment crisis in 2007, 2008. And so it follows this group of employees um, working in the, uh, I want to say the risk management department, um, which is headed by Kevin Spacey, who plays a character named Sam Rogers. And the film starts off interesting, where they, they, they basically come out and they have a, a cutting of heads, you know, period. They just do, do, do layoffs, and then uh, Spacey comes out and um, he gives this speech, you know, the, the, to try and motivate people to say, oh, you're, you're, you know, the ones that are left, that means you're good, get back to work. Mm-hmm. Um, and that really kind of sets the tone for the rest of, of the film, the, the characters that, that you're dealing with, the, the sort of desensitization they have to themselves, their, uh, their fellow employees, and the stuff that they're doing. Um, one of the things that they try and that the film tries to do with Kevin Spacey's character is it, it's got this sort of running back plot line about his dog that's dying, um, that keeps, you know, popping up and, and about how, that to him is is this very emotional thing that's going on, yet he's very able to easily go out and fire, you know, a floor of, uh, you know, half, half a dozen people or a dozen people, basically ending their careers, and it doesn't amount to, you know, uh, any type of emotion. It doesn't, doesn't evoke an emotional reaction at all. Um, and so that's the kind of people that, that you're dealing with in this film. Um, you also have Paul Bettany uh, as I wasn't really clear of, of Paul Bettany's relationship. Um, I guess he was an equal level associate with Kevin Spacey, or I wasn't sure if he worked for Kevin Spacey. But Paul Bettany is basically in charge of two junior level employees, um, one of whom is played by Zachary Quinto, who uh, who plays a character named Peter Sel- Sullivan. Zachary Quinto, of course, being from Star Trek and earlier from. Uh, TV a few years ago from the TV series Heroes. Um, and so basically the series of events that happens is that one of the people who gets laid off is uh, this character named Eric Dale, who's played uh, in a very small role but very effective role by Stanley Tucci. Um, and this character, Eric Dale, has basically stumbled across um, some numbers that have highlighted this sequence of events, this predictive sequence of events that he foresees as being problematic, but he doesn't get to finish his work. And despite, you know, trying to trying to bring the issue up with superiors, um, they just say, nope, you're, you're gone. Please have your stuff gone by the end of the day. Um, you know, so it's, it's very much a policy-driven kind of film. You know, this is the policy we, 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 we don't take exceptions to. The, the policy. If you worked in a corporate arena or a corporate business at all before, you would come to recognize these kinds of attitudes and behaviors among people. Um, and so basically, right as he's headed out the door, he passes this data via USB to um, Zachary Quinto's character, Peter Sullivan, and says, you know, you need to take a look at this and see if what I'm predicting is right or not. And so 
basically over the course of an evening, Zachary Quinto stays late, does some numbers, comes up with, f- finishes the formula, finishes the calculation that shows that this company is about to tank because of the margin speculation that they've been doing with, you know, um, credit default swaps and all those fancy, you know, uh, financial backed securities terms and 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 things that you've been hearing about in the news over the past two or three years that are supposed to be the result of where we are economically and by extension things like the Occupy Wall Street movement, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so once he recognizes this, he calls his boss back in, uh, Kevin Spacey, and from there it's the boss's bosses and then the boss's bosses all coming in um, to converge for these high-level meetings to figure out what's exactly going on. And so you're introduced to a series of characters, including um, you've got Demi Moore here as one of the senior exec- executives, um, Azif Mand- Manvi uh, as one of the senior executives, and then at the very top you've got, um, uh, oh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Jeremy, Jeremy, Irons. Irons. Jeremy Irons as, as John Tulled, who's like the top guy. Um, and so... It's a very slow-moving film because it's basically people standing around talking about either, oh, what, what does this mean? What's going on? Or people asking questions like, how much did he make last year? Oh, I made $2 million. How much did you make? Oh, I made about uh, $60 million with, uh, you know, bonuses. And, 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 and all that's kind of going on, the, the, the back and forth. The people either talking about what, they're, what they've made, what they're doing, why they're there, or... Oh my gosh, this this big thing's happening. What do we do? I told you about this last year. Who's going to take the fall? I'm not going to take the fall. He's going to take the fall. Um, and so if you find that kind of stuff interesting, if you're interested in sort of the inner workings of what was going on, or at least one interpretation of it, um, um, because, again, this was written by the, the director as well, uh, I think you'll find this film interesting. If you're not, you'll probably find it darn boring. Um, now I ha- I was, I'm very interested in this kind of stuff. I've watched a bunch of documentaries on the event. Um, I've seen other films on the event and in the, in the spectrum of all of that, this isn't the best. It's not the worst. Um, and it's a very solid and engaging piece again, provided you're interested in it. Otherwise I think you'd find very slowly paced, not very dynamic. Um, the, the, the sets they use are very limited. Basically they're in the office, they're in the boardroom. Or they're, dri- they're, they're driving to look for the Eric Dale character at one point to bring him back in. Or they're at a strip bar, I think, at one point. That's about it. That's, that's it in terms of the location. Um, so the, the pace moves along slowly. None of the characters are really likable. And I think that's part of the point. That these are, you know, sort of A-type personality people who have money on their mind and not much else. Um, they probably have high IQs, but very low EQs, and sensitivity is not on the radar in terms of, thing, uh, you know, the, the characterizations. Um, I think the character you're supposed to relate to the most is is Kevin Spacey, but you don't. I, I ended up relating a little bit more to Zachary Quinto's character, um, who's, he's got a funny role. He's a rocket scientist. <laughs> he's a trained rocket scientist <clears throat> who's basically become a risk analyst because of the money you know and we look at things like the defunding of nasa and you look at things like you know why are all the 
why are all the big brains going into the finance world? It's because of the money and because of the, you know, limitless rewards that can, you know, be waiting for you if you're able to put other things, you know, like a conscience maybe, on hold. Um, and so that pretty much sets up the tone. Uh, from a narrative perspective, it's not as engaging. There was a film from HBO earlier this year, I, I think I've tweeted about it a couple times, called Too Big to Fail, which serves as a nice sequel to this film. That one, it's got some bigger names in it, um, in many of the roles. Um, it stars uh, William Hurt, I think, as uh, Henry Paulson. And so that film is really focused on real people. Um, real government officials, real people in, uh, in, in the banking industry, real companies, and some of the events that played out um, sort of after what's going on in this film occurred. So if you watch this film and then you've, you can get, uh, I think Too Big to Fail is not out on video, but I think it should be coming soon. You can get Too Big to Fail and sort of watch them back to back. I think it provides a really nice buildup over what happened in the corporate world and then what was kind of the response from the government and from um, some of the uh, the big people in the finance sectors, what, what they were doing about it. Um, I think I think the two complement each other very, very well. But I'd have to say Too Big to Fail has, it's a bit more dynamic, the performances are a bit bigger, and I think narratively it's just a little bit more entertaining. Um, I'd say if you're interested in the bank crisis at all, as I've mentioned, you can you should see it. Um, otherwise, you know, TV it, it's, it's, it's got the feel of a nice movie of the week. Um, Kevin? Um, I really want to see what, you know, writers like David Mamet or Aaron Sorkin would have done this material because this is like the stuff that they would chew on, you know, yeah. people throwing really fast dialogue at each other and a lot of tension, character tension, everything happening within a really tight timeline. I would love to see it, but instead, you know, I kind of like the slow measured dialogue they got here. There's some good lines. Um, some, you know, it is very much J.C. Chandler's own movie. He wrote it and directed it, and this kind of his big break. Um, I, you know, I thought, I, I kind of disagree. I thought it kind of humanized these people a little more than, than it should have. After all the anger towards the financial sector, this film kind of views that some people did have a conscience. Um, even though a lot of technical terms were thrown around, it's very much, uh, it has a very simple, uh, dilemma. It's about you know, this firm facing either self-preservation or doing things for the greater good. And, you know, Kevin Spacey, actually in the beginning, you're not supposed to, I guess I didn't identify him in the beginning. I thought he was kind of, he was going to be the villain of the piece, but he ends up being the guy who has the conscience, who believes in the doing things, uh, doing things honorably with honor. That is not how you alienate the rest of your industry, but while facing, you know, a CEO who wants to preserve his firm. And it's a very, very simple dilemma there. And that's why I like uh, it didn't really, it uses the difficult terms, but it doesn't, you know, confuse you because, you know, it's very clear what's going on. Um, I like the character dynamics. I like the first 45 minutes when you have the, the crisis being thrown up one level after level after level. And it's, it's kind of fun seeing, oh my God, who's going to play the big guy? Who's going to play this guy? Who's going to play that guy? Like, you know, bigger and bigger actors come out until finally Jeremy Irons comes out. I was like, whoa, he's a CEO. And I really like how they build the character dynamics that way. Um, and then after that, that, that's where the tension comes from, knowing which, what each character stands for and what they represent and what they've done and everything that, that they introduced in the first 45 minutes. And the slow measure pace also really helped um, 
bring build more tension than than you know you might expect from this type of film. Uh, of course, you have a really sh- uh, strong cast. Uh, even Demi Moore. Um, sorry about her divorce, by the way. Uh, even her. Even she. She was pretty sure. I thought she was gonna go for like a really uh, strong villainous woman type of character, but even then, she was kind of sympathetic by the end. Um, I wasn't as bored as you were. I thought actually it was more engaging than I thought it would be. Um, just seeing. Well, I, would, these I wouldn't say I was actors. bored because mm-hmm. um, again, I was really engaged with the material. Right. I just felt it was kind of. I don't know, small and a little bit slow in places. A it is bit, very stagey, A little bit quiet, it? you know. It, yeah. it wasn't like, you know, people get in everybody's faces and, oh, we're talking millions of dollars here and, and, and things like that. Um, I mean, there is one scene where, um, uh, I can't remember which character it was. Uh, I think it's uh, Penn Bagley, who's like um, Zachary Quinto's buddy. They're kind of at the same level. Turns out, you know, he finally gets the notice that uh, that he's he's not going to be around, you know, the, the day after. And then he's, like, in the bathroom sobbing. Um, but, he, you know, when he's out on the floor talking about it, he's like, oh, you know, oh, I'm, I'll, I'll be fine. I made a million dollars last year or something. Um, but then, you know, it doesn't matter whether your salary is, you know, $200 a week, $2,000 a week, or $2 million a week. When you get fired, it's still emotional, right? Yeah. Um, I, I think that's the point he was he was the director was trying to go for. You know, there there are moments like that that I think, you know, work really well. It's just that when I compare this with other stuff that I've seen so far, that there's not a great sense of dynamism here. You know. Yeah. And maybe that's the point, because it's just stuff that's going on in one evening, you know. Um and you know the one thing that I really love is like Jeremy Irons when he comes in as the you know the head guy John Tuld, he's just so like oh can you explain that to me in simple terms you know it, it's like he doesn't even understand any of the things that are going on he's just there because he's there yeah you know, he 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 doesn't you know even have to manage things anymore he's just the guy who makes a final decision. What authority does he have when he can't even, you know, he, he doesn't even understand the basic formulas that his, um, you know, the, the junior associates are, are, are working with. And, but yet he's got the top salary, you know, it's, it's that kind of um, dynamic that I think, and, and the irony of that, that, that makes this kind of, you know, more interesting for me, but also somewhat somewhat infuriating and i think this is a part of the reason why you see people out in the street and occupy wall street and stuff because they realize this mm-hmm. kind of stuff is going on out there mm-hmm. you know um but you know I, I, even even he when he's talking about well you know uh, the company could go down or i could do this and it will have shockwaves throughout the industry but it's just like matter of fact it's 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 very quiet you know nobody's really overly upset or overly angry um I think that to me felt, you know, just, but you, you can feel it underneath the surface, you know, that yeah, to tension. Yeah, to an extent, and I, I yeah, agree. And I really like that. And actually, you know, that, that sobbing scene in the bathroom, that's the only moment that didn't really work for me. Yeah. That was almost too much emotions in one scene. I really yeah, like Yeah, in, in contrast with the rest of the film, it, it is. Yes. It's like a standout moment. Yeah, and it's a really calm film, but it's calm, but in a way that you want, to see what these people can say to each other before someone blows up. And for me, that it was really, actually, I thought I was really engaged. I didn't 
felt it was long at all. Actually, I, I don't know why. These kind of films, um, it is slow, it's quiet, but it's also at the same time, it is really engaging that I didn't feel. For me, I wouldn't even use the word slow because it kind of went by for me. Like, oh, this is really engaging and I was really into it. And I didn't really feel bored. But um, it is very stagey. Mm. You know, it's all in a place and it's all two people talking to each other. It's always talking and talking and talking, which is why I wanted, you know, if it's going to be stagey, you must well have writers who are really good at stagey stuff, you yeah. know, like a circuit or like a mammoth. Yeah. Um, anyway, it's, I was pleasantly surprised um, for what it was. I was more engaged than I expected. I thought it was stronger than I expected it to be. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's quite quite a surprise pleasant yeah. surprise. I maybe uh, i was so just too busy waiting for uh zachary quinto to do like a vulcan pinch on somebody or to, <laughs> to, to start you know waggling his finger and cutting somebody's skull open yeah. no yeah it, it is not a film for everyone um it is um it might be a little if you don't even if you're looking for action or when someone to blow up at someone's faces is not the film for you yeah. um yeah uh, no no angry acting i would yeah, say no angry acting um so there's no really award bait moments, so to speak, I think. But at, at the same time, I guess that makes the, stru- the, the cast more consistent. Mm. Uh, so there's no one real standout, and they're all quite good. And yeah, I like the film. You're listening to the East Screen, West Screen podcast. Visit Kongcast.com for more. I think that's a show. Yep. <clears throat> we uh we covered quite a bit. Talked yeah, a lot. Three movies. Yeah. yeah. It feels I like need, uh, I need some water. <laughs> it's been forever since we've done this. Um but yeah, no no real comments this week. Uh so but if you would like to uh get in touch with us, we would welcome you to do so. Of course, we expect many of you are probably listening through iTunes, but you can also hear our show on Stitcher. And there you can listen to us on your iPhone, maybe even an iPhone 4S. Uh, Android phone, mm-hmm. BlackBerry, or WebOS. You know, I wonder if Siri can find us. You know, Siri, say, you find... Siri, find me East Screen, West Screen. Ah, okay. I should have tried it last weekend. Yeah. Well, my, my uncle has a 4S. So Does he? Uh, yeah. Yes, but I didn't get to try it. didn't work really well. Well, you Plus can try us on your, uh, your 4S, your Android phone, your BlackBerry, and your WebOS phones. Stitcher is smart radio for your phone. Find it in your app store or at stitcher.com. Stitcher Smart Radio, the smarter way to listen to radio. And as always, we thank them for their support of our little show. Uh, you can also head over to the website, www.concast.com, and you can stop in there, leave us some comments. You can check up the schedule, see what we're going to be watching. And if you're in Hong Kong and you want to come out and watch a movie with us, uh, sometimes I post the movie night schedules up there if we know what we're going to go see and when we're going to go see it. You can drop us an email at uh, eScreen at gmail.com and let us know if you'd like to join us. Uh, we're always happy to bring new people into the fold and support Hong Kong cinema. Uh, Twitter, you can find us all on Twitter. Uh, my Twitter is uh, FoxLore if you're interested in my uh, daily ramblings about uh, losing my life and my soul to Skyrim. Or you can follow the show at twitter.com slash Kongcast. And, of course, you can always follow Mr. Ma over at twitter.com slash thegoldenrock. That's one word. And keep up with um, his very informative posts on cinema and results and revenues and popular culture and all manner of interesting things. Um, 
I also talk dirty sometimes. <laughs> Are you sure that's not another account? <laughs> no, the, no, the, the, uh, the Golden Rock. The, nope. uh, the Dirty Rock uh, no, at no, Twitter? No, the, the Golden Rock is, is always it's, uh, at once dirty and clean. Mm. Yes. So, yeah, follow follow along. And, uh, of course, uh, Kevin does some writing out there on the Internet. So, um, are you working on anything right now? You just finished your blogging for the film festival. Uh, any other blogs or future writings that people should be aware of? Um, I still write um, weekly movie reviews for YP Movies. That's www.ypmovies.com.hk. This week, you can read my reviews for Margin Call and Trespass. Uh, I'm not sure what I'll be writing next week. Uh, I will be watching Tintin, but I guess we can talk about that on a future podcast. If not, see my review. I also will be updating the blog uh, once in a while. That's on www.lovehkfilm.com. Uh, the Golden Rock blog is you can access it from the homepage. Uh, I hope soon I'll be writing about Love Is Not Blind and you know the box office figures and how to how to market a film and also maybe a future uh, entry about the Flowers of War ticket price issue. Um, so you know it's coming the end of the year. It's it's getting exciting in the Chinese film world and we have a lot of stuff to cover. So hopefully I can get down and start writing some. Yeah, and you know. Going forward, uh, we're going to be heading into the holiday season, so a lot of big stuff to talk about between now and then. Yeah, like Alvin the Chipmunks. Woohoo! Three. Wait. Yeah. Part three. Can't wait. <laughs> it's a trilogy now. Um, <laughs> so, big thanks to some people Rob Gubbers for, at Snowser Studios for our theme, Ross Chen of lovehongkongfilm.com for keeping us engaged and out for movie nights and local cinema. Of course, Kevin, for sticking with me uh, through the show, as always. And you, the listeners, all, everybody out there, including uh, Matt Seidel, who was in the chat room for a bit before we put him to sleep. Um, yeah, we always appreciate any support and the fact that you guys uh, like what we're doing and communicate with us You know, makes this all the more worthwhile. Next show, episode 90. Well, we're fast approaching the 100 mark. Uh, we'll be looking at the latest uh, Hong Kong film from Cecilia Chung, legendary Amazons, and uh, the film that just looks kind of weird in the trailer of the film Immortals, and probably going to talk about Drive as well. So all of that and much more on our next show. Until then, this is East Screen, West Screen, wishing you good viewing, and we will see you next week. See you next week, everybody. We